0: Welcome to Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Radioactive is a show that amplifies the voices of grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Tonight we're going to get all but punk rock farmers. That's going to happen on Friday. Stick around as I talk with Jim Bone, local musician, but also licensed clinical social worker. He's going to share a couple of songs off his new album, The Outsider talk about some ways to deal with what we've been going through. We'll build on some of the conversation Rashawn Leak had on last night's show with his panel on mental health strategies. Plus three quick picks with poet Trish Hopkinson of Rock Canyon Poets. She's back for another installment of our Poetry Still Happens series. Lots of great opportunities for poets to submit their work, for poet lovers to take in that work. But also she's picked a couple of Her favorites against the backdrop of Black History Month, and we have some recordings to share on that front. And speaking of poetry, Friday night's Poetic Justice, an intimate open mic event from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Black Cultural Center. It's at 95 Fort Douglas Boulevard up there on the University of Utah campus, hosted by the center and Utah Black Artists Collective. Coming up on Tuesday, February 22nd. It's the Salt Lake Education Association's Let Teachers Teach rally 4 p.m. at the Utah State Capitol in downtown Salt Lake. And in just a minute, Nick Burns will be talking about that with his guests during the legislative update. And now a save the date on Saturday, March 12th, the 2022 Salt Lake City St. Patrick's Day Parade, 11 a.m. at the Gateway in downtown Salt Lake. It's an event put on by the Hibernian Society of Utah, and they say come and join us for the 42nd annual parade It's been too long, they say, as we gathered and celebrated the Irish in Utah. Want to find out how to get in on the parade? Well, visit irishinutah.org. More details on the rallies and resources page of krcl.org. This year, as we focus on the people's business at the People's House, that 45-day period where state lawmakers meet at the Capitol to make and unmake laws in Utah, we like to pass the microphone and find out what folks and nonprofits are doing on the issues that are near and dear to them. And now let's pass the microphone to community co-host Nick Burns for our legislative update tonight.
1: This is Nick Burns on your Community Connection, 90.9 FM K-R-C-L. Robert Birch, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. And you are the founder of Sema Hadithi, the African American Heritage and Culture Foundation here in Utah. Yes. So. I know you've been on the show before. I know we've talked about your nonprofit before, um, and here we are in Black History Month, and I want to talk about you know this is our legislative update. I want to talk about HB 238, but I, I guess I would start by asking you: Have you seen progress away from you know sort of, and I'll say this carefully, ghettoizing Black History to February? That you know, Black History is U.S. history. And do you envision a time when it can all just be
2: history? Are we getting there? (laughs) That has always been our stance, is that uh, we know that there are two times a year that Mm. particularly attention is made to Black history. That's February and June for Black History Month and for Juneteenth. But we spend a lot of our time focusing on the rest of the year we know that there are going to be people who are going to be enthusiastic about february and june but uh we try to make sure that whatever activities we produce ourselves are done in other times of the year uh we might participate in other people's program because they might ask us to but anything that we produce that we do is going to be outside of those two months generally
1: yeah, I, I, just for me, the when the focus becomes Juneteenth and the focus becomes February, it seems to invite dominant white culture to
2: just kind of
1: put all y'all in a box the rest of the year.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think even on Juneteenth, they still put us in a box because. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> in any case, way, <laughs> oh, but Robert, third way they want to celebrate it, so it's it's, it's okay. We want to make sure that. Even in June, in Juneteenth, we do get those teaching opportunities. And, and that's what it's mostly about, just how to get those teaching opportunities and create teaching opportunities for the rest of the year.
1: And thank you for using that word teaching, because that's part of our legislative update later on the show today, talking about some education bills. But but I guess to, to stick with that for just a second, it's not like Black history hasn't been taught in dominant white culture. Yes. It's just a very oh gosh, I'm going to say it, a very whitewashed history, right? So yeah, um, it's not like it doesn't exist. It's just been basically wrong.
2: <laughs> I, I tend to take the, use the term mythologized view. Of mm. For instance, we might take Martin Luther King Jr. and out of the hundreds of speeches that he's done and out of the really sometimes radical and critical statements that he's made, there's just this one that we like to remember. And so we, we take this man and we try to make him into this mythos that it's not a real representation of who he was and what he believed. And we find the same thing here in Utah. There are, uh, are small stories. There are wonderful stories like uh, Jane Manning James, but that tends to be the only female that we like to talk about here in utah when we have others like alberta henry and uh mignon richmond and other black women who have been very successful and been very influential in uh what making utah what it is but we ignore those those larger truths to focus on those small ones
1: yeah good point if we have time i want to ask about a couple of those individual folks (laughs) but let's jump into hb 238 state holiday
2: modifications it
1: sounds quite innocuous
2: (laughs) well it made it a little difficult for me to find the bill too because i didn't realize the name of it but (laughs) really is uh that they're they're taking what is already law and, and just just adjusting it to include or exclude something else and so that's that's what probably makes understanding where to find the bill in the state legislature uh uh, difficult to find because of that kind of odd name for it. Uh, but uh, uh, generally with when when I uh, speak to such things uh, on the Hill as we did with uh, uh, Representative Holland, it's to really try to give people a historical background because a lot of these things don't happen in a vacuum, even though we think that all of a sudden Representative Holland wants to have uh, Juneteenth as a holiday, but you know, Utah has had one of the longest uh, time period of celebrating Emancipation Day, what we now call Juneteenth. Up
1: in up in Ogden, yes, for for decades.
2: Right, and well, actually, uh, Emancipation celebration started back in the 1890s in Utah. Oh Around wow, the, I didn't know. Oh, see, I learned yes. something
1: today. Thank you.
2: Around the same time, it started in Texas, and so we have had a long history of celebrating. Uh, Emancipation Day, and that's what I wanted to share up on the Hill is that, you know, uh, this is something that the citizens of Utah have been trying to do for a long time. Let's make it something that all of us can enjoy and and learn from.
1: So how's it going up on the Hill if you're up there and helping Representative Hollins with HB 238 state holiday modifications?
2: (laughs) Well, I'm just uh, asking, I'm just... uh, contributing, uh, where she has a need or she, she mm-hmm. asked for something in general, like I said, it's generally a focus on the historical context, um, uh, uh, as a nation and as a state that I try to help the, the legislators be able to kind of view what, uh, Juneteenth is. And, uh, hopefully we get more chances to explain it as it moves into the Senate now and, uh, be able to go up and, uh, speak before those gentlemen and help them understand, uh, what the, uh, the history of Juneteenth and Emancipation Day in Utah really is and not what they think it is.
1: And do you think there's an awareness of that? The 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 black population of Ogden that goes back to the railroad days and the sleeping car porters and and that part of Utah culture that I lived here for quite a while before I learned.
2: Well there is a lot of it and that's and that's the reason we found the Seminaditi uh foundation is to start telling those stories because there are Stories of great men and women throughout Utah who've built churches, who've built communities, and uh, who've created a way of life uh, for themselves and their families, uh, even at the resistance of others who didn't want them in the community and things of that nature. So uh, uh, we are well on our way to trying to tell all of those stories in Ogden, in Brigham, in Salt Lake, in Wellsville, wherever we find
1: them. Okay. Robert, thank you. Um, I want to talk about a couple of the events you've got upcoming Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. ongoing, but there also is real quickly this multicultural affairs $6 million request to expand opportunities um, and again to help nonprofits like yours. Tell me a little bit about that.
2: Well, I mean, it's simple that and straightforward is to to make sure that we stay in front of the legislature to let them know that we would like the opportunity to receive those funds so that we can do the things as nonprofits that our mission statement uh, uh, gives us to do. And uh, for us particularly, that is to research and uh, preserve and share the story of black people uh, in Utah and in the Mountain West. So uh, we really hope that they, find that it's important to give this increase in, in monies to to do that for, not just for my foundation, but for all of those. Who yeah. Want I mean, it. $6 million
1: kind of seems like a drop in the bucket that would go a heck of a long ways to helping groups like yours. Yeah. yeah for me, it would go a
2: long way up. Uh, a a <laughs> tiny portion of that would go a long way for us. And so, and I know that there's a lot of other foundations out there who really have a need, whether they're serving children or serving health that, that need. It yeah.
1: Well, Sama Hadithi, you've been around the foundation. You've been around since 2020, uh, summertime 2020, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got, you know, tell me a couple of the events you've got upcoming real quick in the last couple of minutes we've got.
2: Well, I, one of our big initiatives this year is going to be with the Equal Justice Initiative and in recognizing the lynchings of Black men in Utah and the type of social injustices that still exist that allow for uh, bad pay, bad health, poor educations in the state of Utah. So it it is a social system that has existed here for hundreds of years. And we want to use the topic of lynching as a a linchpin to be able to discuss those continuing things. And that will be continued through the course of the year. We'll probably have that conversation four or five times this year. And we also have uh, our regular uh, Black History Conference in October. Uh, We'll be participating in Juneteenth and we'll be uh, having a special uh, event surrounding the uh, uh, Richmond uh, Barker, uh, Mignon, and Barker, Richmond Park, uh, in June, with uh, in collaboration with Better Days 2020 to have a special event out there in June as well. So, we
1: so have go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Now, I, I was just going to say, I hope you can come back and talk some more about those events when they come closer. Um, and I also know you are always open for people to join and people to yes. volunteer
2: and people to help. So, how can uh, how can folks do that? Uh, you can do that by going to semahadithi.org, that's S-E-M-A-H-A-D-I-T-H-I dot O-R-G, and sign up to, to volunteer, uh, to donate, uh, to contribute. If you have things that you would like to contribute to Black history, uh, let us know, and we'd be glad to, to help you with it. And if you want to join one of our teams, we'll be happy with that as well. So
1: Robert Birch, founder of Semahadithi African American, African-American Heritage and Culture Foundation. Right here in Utah, this work is ongoing. HB 238, State Holiday Modifications. Shout out to you and all you do. And of course, Representative Hollins, also up on the hill. And really, I hope you get the money. Thanks, I
2: appreciate that. Thank you for having us.
1: Oh, talk again soon, thank you. Take care. Thank you. Next up on the show, continuing our legislative update during these days of the session. I want to talk about education. Um, Seems to me we can never get away from education on this show uh, for any number of reasons, but specifically I want to talk about HB 331 substitute, which is the Hope Scholarship Program. So James Tobler, thank you. You are the president of the Salt Lake Education Association. Thank you for being with us.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: And also joining us, man, I got too many computer screens open. Also joining us, Michelle Jones. Hi. Hello. You teach at Cypress, correct? Correct. I'm a math teacher. Oh, very good. Thank you. My brother was a math professor. Wonderful. And you are the president of the Granite EDU Association. Correct. Wonderful. So... You know, I, I really, I'm excited to have you both on the show. I'm excited to have this conversation, but I must admit it's potentially depressing because it feels like we've had to have this talk before, that we've already been through this whole notion of vouchers. It's already been voted down by the population of Utah, and here we are back again. So, James, maybe I'd throw this to you first, HB 331 Substitute. What the heck's the Substitute?
3: Well, you know, it's, 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 it's a very kind of backdoor way to, to get vouchers implemented into, into the state of Utah. And using the terms like scholarship and hope scholarship and uh, things like that, it, it just kind of masks what this bill really does, which is defund public schools, right? As soon as students uh, parents have the ability to use a voucher, uh, to send their kids to a private school. Um, that's where we start to see money going from public schools into private schools. But, you know, some of the problems with that, I mean, there's several problems. One, defunding public schools, uh, but also, um, you know, their private schools aren't going to be ha- held to the same standard to serve uh, students with disabilities. Um, there's probably going to be additional, you know, quite high cost. And so the voucher will cover a certain part of it. But also, um, the costs will probably be quite. you know, there there will be additional costs. And so you'll see low income students um, not able to afford to go to the private schools. So you kind of see a situation where um, students with disabilities low income students could potentially be the ones that remain in the public schools and private schools kind of serve kind of wealthy um you know students that don't have disabilities so you can almost see a two-tier system developing within time and um, i think it's very dangerous and it's very disconcerting i think we have we have a strong i mean i i grew up in salt lake city i went to salt lake city public schools and we have a we have a strong public school system here Um, i think our community has loved our public schools their community centers uh, and and rather than than pass something like this i would you know i just wish our legislature would prioritize public education funding give us the money we need to pay for programs um and and support our staff and i mean i can go on and on but (laughs) well i'll slow down here
1: no 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 it's 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 so cynical to me because nationally we see this move to push back on legacy admissions to higher ed you know to the ivs and so on we see pushback um in terms of uh admission standards and yet here locally this kind of a vouchers bill like you say would simply give money to the rich to siphon their kids off so michelle jones bring you in here you're in the math classroom what could you envision something like this would do for students at cyprus in your classrooms
4: well again just piggybacking on what james said it's this money could be used for publicly ed schools and one of the things that we're seeing in dire need right now i'm sure everybody's heard about um, our need for substitutes one of the things that this money could go for is increasing the pay and making it so that we can have more full-time substitutes because that's a big part of the problem is School districts have cut costs by making all of those positions part time, and and that's hard. That's hard to be a part time position in a school, especially when we're not. You know, you don't work the entire year, um, and then also access to benefits and all those things. Which this money could go towards funding. Same thing with paras. Um, one of the things that the additional federal dollars, the ESSER funds have actually funded it in my school that has been a wonderful support and benefit this year that I've never had before, is I'm the only um, ESL endorsed math teacher in my building. Wow. So I get most of the students who um, speak zero to very little English, which I love. I love having them in my classroom, but it's so helpful to have an adult in there that can translate. Um, for those kids basic instructions. Um, there's a lot that I can do as a teacher, but having that extra pair of hands makes a world of difference for those students. And that's something that, again, this money could go for that I fear um, will disappear after we have this extra funding this year. Um, so that's that's a big thing is those extra supports to essentially reduce class size without reducing class size, because you have more adults helping professional in the classroom.
1: Yeah, and and by paras, just to be clear for folks, that's a para educator who can help you in the classroom in any number of ways. It might be language translation. It might be helping folks who need a little extra help. Um, How many kids do you have in your classes?
4: Uh, I typically have around 36 students, 36 ninth graders. Holy crap.
1: I'm sorry. Wow, I'm impressed.
4: I'm actually very fortunate. My principal is able to prioritize a lot of land trust funding. So my classes tend to be smaller than a lot of other high schools. There's peers that I have that have 40 students in their classroom is is more typical. And that, when you have that many, a change of four is significant.
1: Oh, 40 kids in a class. And how many classes a day do you teach with 35 or 36? Six. Six for a full contract. So let's do the math. Let's do the math, there, math teacher. Six classes at thirty-five students each. I mean, we're talking two hundred kids. Yes, they that you've got to wrangle a day. Kids. How many different classes is that? Are you teaching
4: six of the same class? That's really depends, teacher to teacher, and again, this is principal local discretion and also what you have available uh, and how many classes the the high school provides. So the more classes, types of classes a high school provides, the more different classes a teacher is likely to have. I currently have co-taught, which is a full inclusion classroom. So I I teach students that have identified learning disabilities in mathematics. Wow, um, thank you. And then also what's called just a regular class, so no students or very few students that have identified disabilities in the class. In years past, I've taught four different sections, including honors um, or a freshman success, which is like a kind wow. of study skills class. So it, it varies year to year. OK, so
1: James Tobler, bring you back in here, President Salt Lake Education Association. Um, I'm sure you could tell me similar stories, 40 students in a class, 35, 40 students, 200 students a day to help learn and hear The legislature again wants to siphon off the best and the brightest from the wealthiest families and give them money to go elsewhere. Um, Any notion about why this just can't be put to bed when what did we have? 60% of the population in a public referendum said no to vouchers and still it comes back. What's going on?
3: No, that's an an excellent question. And uh, I don't know that I've have a a great answer I, I feel like our legislature should listen to the people of utah we have spoken and we voted down vouchers and here it is coming up again under a different name using words like hope scholarship and it's very frustrating to me and you know I understand um well,
1: well, some do, people how, say, How, how do I people, <laughs> no, I was just going to say, some people say the argument here is to decimate public education on purpose till it gets so, quote, bad that we have to privatize it and hire some private company to, I don't know, hire a whole bunch of part-time teachers or pay people less or bust the, quote, union. I don't really think we have an effective union in this right-to-work state, but that seems to be what many of us think's going on behind the scenes here
3: uh yeah i i I do feel like there are some people with really strong views and uh around privatization and anything public they want to see in the private private sector and their work has i mean it's it's a national movement and i think we're seeing this in other states as well and it's it's very concerning i mean i think a lot of things work very well in the public sector i mean the private sector is about profit right um education shouldn't be about profit it should be about education yeah. critical thinking <laughs> like let's yeah. let's 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 do what needs to be done to educate our population and and it should not be for profit oriented so i i, I think it's very concerning and I, I think we do have some politicians who, are looking what's going on nationally, are are looking at different bills being proposed in other states, and and from Alec, uh, that that mm. group that's that, that's been kind of working with with um, very conservative lawmakers to propose legislation, and I I think it's it's very worrisome for our state.
4: Can I, I add I something to that?
3: Yeah, go ahead, Michelle.
4: I also think part of the problem is that they hear. The legislatures hear things and aren't actually in our classrooms, so they're trying to solve problems in a way that they don't fully understand the problem, and they also don't fully and haven't discussed with educators, the professionals, good ways to solve those problems that are that are beneficial. One of the things I hear in support of this frequently is, "Oh, we need more choice." Utah actually has some of the most choice of any state because our students don't have to go to the school that's in their zip code. And that's the open enrollment process. We also have some very excellent charter schools. Um, So I know in Granite School District, we have the Ames Academy in Salt Lake School District, they're Slicksy. So our students do have a lot of options. Another really excellent charter school in Granite School District is the international school that actually focuses on students that are new to America. So like from refugee camps. So we already have a lot of those systems in place. We just need to utilize them more effectively. But that also, this money would also take away from those schools as well. So we're, we're even, <laughs> Boy, the
1: cynicism is unending here, isn't it? We'd even take money away from the effective choice programs we have now under the argument of creating more choice. Correct. Oh, it, it's enough to piss me off, frankly, and I'm trying to be nice here because I'm involved in education myself, uh, but I know we only have a couple minutes left and I want to make sure to spend a minute here with your SLEA Let Teachers Teach Rally on the 22nd. I presume lots of folks will come out. Do you expect parents to be a part of that too, I hope? Yes, absolutely. Are you hearing from parents support? Absolutely. Are you hearing from parents who are against
4: this? I hope.
3: Uh, Yeah. Against
4: the rally or against the bill?
3: No, against the bill, against the bill. Yes, definitely, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I've I've had some conversations with some parents and um, who are against this kind of the same, same views that Michelle and I have stated already um, sharing those views. And yeah, we, we want to build an alliance with parents against this kind of reactionary legislation and, you know, other things that are proposed about like curriculum transparency and having curriculum approved by the legislature, you know, that's, there's a long history there of, of, Meddling. academic freedom and censorship and and so there are a lot of parents are, are coming together with teachers and so we we are inviting parents to join us uh, let's come together build an alliance and have a strong voice in public education so if
1: this is february 22nd it's at 4 p.m it's up at the capitol i understand you're supposed to wear red um what else should folks expect i see you know james you're in red now so thank you
3: yeah, I, th- I think we're going to have several t- speakers. We're going to okay. have, um, uh, you know, this, the rally is sponsored by the Salt Lake Education Association and the Granite Education Association and the Park City Education Association. Uh, we're going to have uh, teacher speakers, student speakers, uh, hopefully a parent speaker. And, and you know, we'll see. And basically, we just want to make some noise and let the legislature know we are watching we're paying attention. We don't need more bills bills that give us more work, that drain money from public education. We need support and we need financial support. And, and you know, sometimes you hear legislative lawmakers saying, oh, we don't, don't just throw money at it. Well, you've siphoned money from public education for so long, we can't hire substitutes. We can't hire cafeteria workers. We can't hire sweepers. Teachers are done, um, you know, we've had it. And, and we need, we need support and we need to, I think we have approximately 200 open positions in Salt Lake City School District right now. And that, those are, those are things that haven't been filled all year. And the teachers, paraeducators. And so, you know, who's filling in, everybody else is filling in for those unfilled positions and students aren't getting the the education they deserve. And so people, frankly, are very frustrated and ready to take action. And this is, you know, this is maybe the least of what teachers are are wanting to do at this moment is is a rally, but we definitely want to make our voices heard.
1: So I want to tell everybody, you can go to the Salt Lake Education Association. There's a Facebook page. You can find out more information. This is the 22nd, 4 p.m. up at the Capitol. Uh, Let Teachers Teach Rally. So shout out to you, James Tobler, President, Salt Lake Education Association. Will you be one of the speakers?
3: I don't know that I'll be a speaker. Okay. I'll, I'll be there.
1: <laughs> okay. And Michelle, will we get to hear from you? So, no, we actually have
4: other teachers from okay. Granite. I think James and I both feel like as presidents, uh, we get a lot of a lot of FaceTime, and we would really like to have other teachers heard because this is not just um, a leadership issue. It's, it's systemic. Good point. And again,
1: we'll put all these links and whatnot in our show notes for today. But Michelle Jones, thank you for being a teacher. Thank you for being a math teacher. Again, you are the president um, of the Granite Education Association. Thank you for taking time today. Thank you. My pleasure. And James Tobler, thank you as well. You are the president, SLEA, Salt Lake Education Association. And again, rally up at the Capitol 22nd, 4 p.m. against this HB 331 substitute, no small pun in the name, Hope Scholarship Program, which is again vouchers in disguise, which we have long opposed, myself included. James, thank you.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nick.
0: Community co-host Nick Burns with tonight's legislative update featuring teachers from the Salt Lake Education Association and the Granite Education Association, as well as Semahaditi African American Heritage and Culture Foundation. Check tonight's show notes for links to the organizations and the bills that Nick was talking about with them. I'm Laura Jones, and it's time to get our culture on. We're going to dive into a new solo album by Utah musician Jim Bone. He's also a licensed clinical social worker and therapist. We're going to get into how music helps him sort through things. And maybe the title of this next song is a little bit of insight, Jim. It's Burning Down Love on KRCL 90.9.
5: Denver, California, 2003. You chased a Nashville singer, Stone dog.
0: some of Burning Down Love off the new album by Jim Bone, The Outsider. Fresh and homegrown music right here on KRCL's Radioactive. I got Jim on Zoom to talk about his latest album. Jim, we got the app set. You're good to go. Let's talk about The Outsider. How many albums does this make for you as a solo artist?
6: It's my second in the last two years. Um, you know, I wrote songs for Pretty Mouth forever. and. Um, and then I wrote some with uh, Jerry and the Jack, more Jerry Joseph and Jack Mormons back in the old days. But um, uh, it's my second solo. It's a weird thing to start your, you know, your solo career and musically in your 50s. It's...
0: <laughs> Is it a COVID coping mechanism?
6: and it's, it's probably a COVID coping mechanism although i had made the decision to do it before we were under quarantine so um uh it, it really was horrible timing but i think it's been horrible timing for everyone which is um it's definitely affected us all of us for sure
0: well tell me about this album the outsider do you feel like that's a theme for you in your life
6: that's a great question and i do you know i moved to utah i've always tried to wear out of utah the Salt Lake City, you know, the Utah flag on my sleeve. Um, I was in a band called Jack Mormons. Um, uh, and um, the outside, I've always, you know, being the non-Mormon kid <laughs> as a teenager, I've always felt like a little bit of an outsider. And then I, don't know, I met you back in the punk rock days, and we were always trying to be different, I guess, when we were kids.
0: Ah uh, yeah. It's been, it's been a while and here you are in your in your 50s, man. We both survived to get to this this uh decade, James. And I know I've had you on the show plenty of times talking about your day job as a clinical social yeah. worker and and therapist. And uh we just did a show the other day about about mental health and we had a musician on and how much music saved his life. What's music been for you?
6: Uh, I think I've really dialed into and really have accepted that it really kind of is my spirituality, um, and it's my practice. It's something that's always in my head. Um, it's something that I'm uh, either I'm listening to, or I'm playing, or I'm creating. It's a it's an outlet, and it's a, it's a it's a relationship for me. If you know the back in the old AA days, anybody knows me. I have my history of addiction problems. Um, uh, you know, they talk about a power greater than yourself. I don't know anything other than call it lack of a better word, you know, God, but um, it's a spiritual practice for me. And music really is that power greater than myself. And, um, and it never really ever, you know, gives me anything I can't handle or that I, um, that I, 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 I don't need or that um, sometimes it can be challenging as music is. Um, but, um, it's, it's really my, my, I would say probably my biggest passion, probably my second one would be, uh, doing social work I both extremely passionate about both of them and then being a father.
0: Would be the there you go. You got the big three in your life. Yeah. Well, so you brought it up. Um, you know, a lot of people experiencing a lot of loss, whether it's COVID breakups, um, people moving as COVID rearranges people's lives. And you know, I'm hearing from friends that are losing folks to their mental health, and substance disorder struggles. So let me pick that side of your brain here before we get to this last song. Yeah. What's your recommendation for folks, or what have you been hearing as you work with your clients that you can say, "Here's what I'm seeing," and here's some things that work?
6: Well, I, I think one thing is is that you know we're not alone in this, and um, and everybody has experienced something (laughs) um and the anxiety i mean uh, my clients have anxiety um problems uh it's just through the roof uh substance abuse uh suicide um i i know a couple people who committed suicide um you know during covid um it's extremely challenging to to quote i believe uh, uh to quote Karl marx he said that we're social animals right and, uh, you know, there's famous studies uh, that, you know, that, that support that. The one thing that we need is we need other people. And, you know, being a musician as well and licensed clinical social worker, I think it's important, almost kind of my ethical duty to continue to provide a, a, a safe environment moving forward um, so that people can keep their sanity, so people can. Um, uh, be with one another, you know, in a, in a safe way. And I'm trying to support, you know, those businesses and stuff like that, or that are continuing to do that. No matter what your political views are on it or whatever, we've all experienced stuff from it.
0: As we're heading back to the studios at KRCL, I'm trying to transition from my home studio closet, yeah. back to the workspace with with colleagues, and I recognize. My social skills as a social animal—there's some serious atrophy that has happened, Jim. I'm telling you.
6: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that's the point. Is that is that you know we need one another. We need. Earlier, we were talking about spirituality. We need to practice that spirituality. I swim every day. I go, and I, that's that's part of practicing that spirituality. Kind of quiets down the music for a minute. Sometimes it can be really haunting. Trust me very mentally ill um and so taking yourself you know social work is practiced from what we'll call the multi-dimensional framework biological psychological social and transpersonal or we could also call it spiritual which is the full realm of the human experience and it's a lot of work taking care of ourselves getting ourselves getting our, our needs met on all those levels um so um you know getting out and exercising uh, Talking to a friend on Zoom uh, or on the phone or going, uh, still going out to dinner and practicing the safe things that will keep you safe and um, or whatever those things are. Have a friend over. There's all sorts of different situations and uh, people have different reasons why they can't be with one another. But uh, we need people. I think that's the big message here.
0: Well, this album, The Outsider, who plays on it with you?
6: Oh, man. Uh, And a couple of, because of COVID, there there were some people that were staying in town uh, during the quarantine. A kid named Tanner Gus, who was originally from here and came, moved back from New Orleans. Uh, He's been working as a professional musician in New Orleans for the last, I don't know, five years or something like that great drummer i mean amazing drummer uh played on it um uh, a guy that just moved here from originally bulgaria um and um uh had been living in narlans and was friends with tanner as well uh named uh Georgi petrov plays uh plays a little bit of guitar on it and then everybody's friend in town michael sasich um plays a lot of the guitar i play some of the guitar and I play the acoustic stuff and Sassage plays all the cool electric rock star stuff. Um uh who else? Daniel Lee, a kid uh here just graduated the U. Um, plays with a couple other bands here in town. He's a sound engineer. Um then a couple of uh, a kid uh named uh she goes by Gypsy Ep, her her name's Juliet Camille, um, uh, 21-year-old fiddle player that may be um maybe one of the most ta- talented fiddle players I've ever played with. And uh, she's amazing. And then a kid from, from Ohio, um, we played like like the funk scene there, you know, got to play with like Bootsy Collins and um, all sorts of really cool folks. named Danny Shaw plays keyboards on the record as well. So.
0: Well, it sounds like some good homegrown music on the outside. You get the new album, solo album from Jim bone but you're bringing the band out the dig and you got a show this week.
6: Yeah, we're playing. Uh, we're doing a CD release over at the Urban Lounge uh, this Thursday. I think uh, the, the doors open at seven. I believe uh, downbeat nine o'clock start time. Uh, there's a couple of opening acts for us, and I think we st- we take stage about ten forty-five or eleven. So hopefully, we can get some
0: people out. Yeah, got Spirit Machines and Blood Moon opening for you. Yes, then Jim Bone and the Dig around eleven forty-five. You can hear live music again, folks. So do what you got to do to make that still be something we can do yeah moving forward but tell me about this next song we're going to hear some of over our heads off the outsider your new album
6: over our heads uh as lots of my songs are about a girl uh, i think this one's about relationships we were talking about relationships earlier We like said i'm a licensed clinical social worker and it's i was talking about spiritual relationship earlier i think this is about doing relationships and just really not getting it <laughs> <laughs> we think we know we think we're right we think we understand love we think we understand all that stuff and then usually most of the time those things go way over our heads so um that's what the song's about uh, i think when i wrote it i was kind of thinking uh along the lines of a cool kind of like everybody's plays fleetwood mac songs now and i was kind of like oh what's my fleetwood mac song and this <laughs> is the one that i wrote so and it ended up turning out i think Sassage said it sounds like touch of gray by the great dead which you know you'll have with me um my influences but uh yeah so way over our heads is the name of the song it's about relationships about a girl again
0: well jim thanks for sharing some of the new album with us here on radioactive congratulations
6: thank you i appreciate it. it's always awesome talking to you laura
4: That you've cleaned your house for the 75th time? Do you have a stack of vinyl or a giant bin of CDs that you just don't know what to do with? How about donating them to KRCL for our annual record and CD sales? We're not sure what they'll look like this year, but they will happen. Whether you've digitized your library or just need a great place to donate your record collection, KRCL would love to be that place. Your old records and CDs could help fuel the next generation of music lovers. Reach out to KRCL's volunteer manager for drop-off information at at krcl.org.
0: Thanks!
5: KRCL, your community connection since 1979.
0: Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. And coming up at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now!, followed by mixtape, Maximum Distortion at 10.30, Root Awakening at 3 a.m., and John Florence back to start your brand new day tomorrow at 6. You can catch the last two weeks of any show online at krcl.org. Listen on demand under the Programs tab. And now time for another edition of Poetry Still Happens with our uh, accomplice in poetry, Trish Hopkinson of Rock Canyon Poets. Hey Trish, how you doing? I'm doing well, how are you, Laura? Not bad at all. And I thought we could combine a bit of our normal check-in with uh, three long picks from you for Black History Month and we could play some of your favorite poems by Black Poets. That sounds excellent. And we're also gonna talk a ton of events coming up, submissions, man, it's like spring has come early for poets. Yeah, absolutely. There are
7: so many events queued up between now and the end of April. Of course, April is National Poetry Month, but there's plenty to do between now and then. There's in-person and virtual and hybrid events. And there's a great big long list on rockcanyonpoets.com right on the main page where you land. I've posted it right there so you can't miss it. It's also found under the poetry still happens menu.
0: Great, we will put a link in the show notes and we'll we'll close off our segment here and we'll wrap our segment here with some of the highlights you'd like to shout out. But it is Black History Month and I thought I'd turn to our resident poet for the show and see what some of your picks are uh, for a reading list. And we could play some of these because so many recordings are available
7: that's true there are so many recordings now uh, and there have been in the past too but certainly that's gotten more robust uh, since the time of the pandemic and all the virtual readings Um, but i i did i picked some living poets because i think it's so important that we not only you know honor and support our living poets but that we teach our living poets please if you have classes where you're teaching literary arts make sure to consider bringing in the poetic works of poets who are still among us. That's a really uh, important part of literary advocacy. So I just encourage everybody to do that. You can discover tons of new poets to honor Black History Month by just going to poets.org slash black-history-month. So we can also throw that in the show notes, Laura, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Let's do pick number one. All right. Sounds great. So this is one of my favorites. This is from uh, Jericho Brown, whose book, uh, The Tradition, won a 2020 Pulitzer Prize. And it is by Copper Canyon Press, so certainly a book you can go either check out at the library or purchase it for yourself.
8: The tradition. Aster, nasturtium, delphinium. We thought fingers in dirt meant it was our dirt, learning names and heat in elements classical philosophers said could change us. Stargazer, foxglove. Summer seemed to bloom against the will of the sun, which news reports claimed flamed hotter on this planet than when our dead fathers wiped sweat from their necks. Cosmos, baby's breath. Men like me and my brothers filmed what we planted for proof we existed before too late sped the video to see blossoms brought in seconds, colors you expect in poems, where the world ends, everything cut down. John Crawford, Eric Garner, Mike Brown.
0: And that is the tradition poet Jericho Brown. Check tonight's show notes for a link. All right, pick number two of our three quick, maybe long picks for Black History Month and poetry.
7: Yes. So next up, Nikki Giovanni, also a li- oh yes, yeah. also a living poet. She's in her 70s and still producing work. Late 70s, actually, and she's just an amazing um, activist. And her work is is so engaging, and encouraging, and so important. Uh, so uh, she's really one of America's most celebrated poets. And in this most recent collection, it's called A Good Cry by William Morrow Books. And here's her poem called
9: Vote. It's not a hug, nor a mistletoe at Christmas. It's not a colored egg at Easter, nor a bunny hopping across the meadow. It's a vote saying you are a citizen, though it sometimes is chocolate or sometimes vanilla. It can be female or male. It is right or left. I can agree or disagree. But, and this is an important but, I am a citizen. I should be able to vote from prison. I should be able to vote from the battlefield. I should be able to vote when I get a driver's license. I should be able to vote when I purchase a gun. I must be able to vote if I'm in the hospital, if I'm in the old folks' home, if I'm needing a ride to the polling place, I am a citizen, I must be able to vote. Folks were lynched, folks were shot, folks' communities were gerrymandered, folks who believed in the Constitution were lied to, burned out, bought and sold because they agreed All men and women were created equal. Folks vote to make us free. It's not cookies nor cake, but it is the icing that is so sweet. Good for the folks, good for us. My country, tis of thee.
0: And that is a poem called Vote by Nikki Giovanni. And just last night our collaboration black bold and brilliant with the utah film center focused on that I, I, legendary i don't want to say infamous i want to say legendary conversation back in the 70s between nikki and james baldwin and you have a kind of a, a side pick here too because you're reading one of his books right now i
7: am i'm reading another country it's the first novel that i have read of james baldwin's uh, work and it's incredible you can certainly Spend plenty of time with his work, whether you're interested in prose or poetry.
0: So let's get your third quick pick for Black History Month. We're talking with Trish Hopkinson from Rock Canyon Poets. And poetry still happens, a semi-regular feature here on Radio Active. And I'm getting ready to put the poem ball machine into the new studios. Trish, I'm still keeping that alive. So excited about that. Yes, can't wait for that to be there where people can
7: get to it again. So that's super exciting. So my third pick is Terrence Hayes. And this is a really exciting book. It came out uh, in late 2018. It's a book of 70 American sonnets. So really exciting. It's entitled American Sonnets for My Past and Future Assassin. So this poem is untitled, but it's from that collection. It's one of those sonnets.
10: Probably ghosts are allergic to us, our uproarious breathing and ruckus, our eruptions, our disregard for dust. Small worlds unwirl in the corners of our homes after death, our warriors Weirdos, anti-heroes, our sirs, sires, our sires, sidewinders, and whiners, winos, and wonders, become dust. I know a few of the dead. I remember my sister's last hurrah. I remember the horror of her head on a pillow. For a long time, the numbers were balanced. The number alive equal to the number in graves after a very long time the bones become dust again and the dust after a long time becomes dirt and the dirt becomes soil and the soil becomes grain again this bitter earth is a song clogging the mouth before it is swallowed or spat out
0: an untitled poem by terence hayes from his collection american sonnets for my past and future assassin the third pick For Black History Month and Poetry from my guest Trish Hopkinson of Rock Canyon Poets. We'll put all of that in the show notes, folks, so you can catch up on this yourself. But there are upcoming opportunities for poets in Utah, a ton, as well as poetry fans who would like to support the poets, right, Trish?
7: Yes, absolutely. So we're keeping a running list on rockcanyonpoets.com. We're going to keep that updated regularly. So you can get a dose of poetry by either attending in person or online. And they're also writing prompts for you to write your own poems and and submission calls for you to get your poetry published so really broad list of everything going on that's poetry in utah
0: some highlights because like you said it's a very long list you put together people are feeling (laughs) feeling hopeful as spring comes around yes absolutely so certainly mark your calendar for all the
7: events in april national poetry month Uh, the utah poetry festival is happening you can find information on our list but also on facebook and their website um certainly i have to always do a shout out for speak for yourself open mic which happens uh now it's hybrid so they are online via zoom uh every thursday of the month except the third thursday in which they are in person at enlightened bakery next to gurus in downtown provo great opportunity to listen to local poets as well as read your own work but there are several open mics listed there uh, there's another in logan there's some stuff happening in park city and also in St. George and I believe some cowboy poetry events that are happening in March. So you don't want to miss the cowboy train which includes cowboy poetry along with other performances and that's March 11th as well as the 12th annual Cache Valley Cowboy Rendezvous. So cowboy poetry happening uh, March 11th and 13th whether you are in or near
0: Heber City or Cache Valley and my last but not least is the praise poetry reading on antelope island this saturday three to five p.m uh, it is the reading of river writing's irreplaceable a poem a prayer for restoration of the great salt lake they wanted to get to at least 1700 lines reflecting the 1,700 square square mile size minimum of a robust, healthy Great Salt Lake. Everyone is welcome. Doesn't cost anything to attend the reading. It is a state park, so there's a vehicle entry fee. Check tonight's show notes to uh, get all the details. And while you're out there, you can maybe spot a bald eagle or two because there's tons in February coming through all that territory out there um, in the uh, wetlands of the Great Salt Lake.
7: And she's still looking for lines for that praise poem, right? So, Pam Seymour, yes. Yes. So there are links on the Rock Canyon Poets page for different calls for poems, as well as, you know, in the KRCL show notes. Uh, but one one quick call I thought I would mention because the deadline's coming up really quick on February 25th. They are looking for a new poet laureate in Ogden. So if you are in the Ogden area and interested in that, make sure to throw your hat in the ring.
0: All right, folks, all that in the show notes, but you can also check out Rock Canyon Poets. The website is? RockCanyonPoets.com. Hey, thank you, Trish. My pleasure, always a pleasure to be here. Trish Hopkinson of Rock Canyon Poets. Check tonight's show notes for a link to all those events and calls for submission, as well as Trish's three quick picks for poets black history month and that's our show on behalf of community co-host nick burns and myself laura jones thanks for listening thanks for plugging into your community weeknights at six here on radioactive only on listeners community radio of utah krcl 90.9 have a great night everybody